Welcome back to Microfamous. I am super excited for this episode. I wrote it up this morning. I am surrounded by a stack of, uh, of some books that I want to quote here. And we're talking about Teach, Train, and Lead, which is how to use your podcast to change hearts and minds while creating ideal clients. So here's the big idea of this episode. Not everyone needs thought leadership to get the growth that they want. And, I, and I'm okay with that. I love thought leadership. It's why I started this, this production company to launch podcasts into the world because for the right kind of people, thought leadership is essential for the kind of growth that they want. Uh, but not everyone needs it. So I want to define, first of all, like who needs it and who doesn't. So look, if you have a simple, very, very direct offer that people are already receptive to and they don't need to be converted to a new point of view, a new belief system in order to, to work with you, then you may not need a whole blow, you know, full blown thought leadership strategy. You know, there's a really perfect example just in my own home turf of the real estate space. So we've launched a ton of podcasts in the real estate space, but not for the general public. We don't launch those podcasts where the general public is the audience. We only work with coaches and consultants to where the audience is the real estate agents themselves. So they're, they're B2B podcasts, not B2C. Well, why is that? And it's because I learned from working at my old agency, actually working with some of the top agents across the country, they were all doing video blogs and emailing them out to their, their you know, kind of the database, their client base, their leads, all that stuff. And behind the scenes, we would turn those videos into a podcast episode. So all of those clients of ours at the time had real estate podcasts, quote unquote, um, and nobody cared, right? The general public wasn't looking for a podcast from an agent. They were looking for, can you show me this house? Uh, they didn't care about all the other stuff. So agents have to do things like, you know, send them a pre-listing package or take them through a buyer presentation and stuff, because that's what the, the general public wanted from them was not thought leadership. What the general public wanted was give me a way in to see the house that I want or get this house that I'm selling off my books that I can go get the house that I want. It was all about an external thing. And so they had to find other ways to get certain things across without like a thought leadership strategy. So uh, it just wasn't the content the general public was looking for. So uh, when, I, when I launched the production company, we do not, when we chose to not produce podcasts for the general public based on real hard world evidence that that's not what the public was looking for. And if you're in a space like that, then you may not need a podcast, right? Uh, people assume because podcasting is cool or they listen to them in the B2B space that the consumer cares about them. And I would argue in a lot of cases, they do not. So we stick with the B2B space. Uh, in the B2B space, you're selling a lot of intangibles, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but in other words, you have this, this kind of space, this ideal space for a thought leadership strategy. If, if you're in the, in the space where the answer to more growth is just put more money into lead generation and conversion, like, hey, put more people on the phones, put more direct mail out there, put up a few more billboards, then go do that. That's a lot easier. Uh, so where is thought leadership necessary? Where is it essential? Where does it actually move the needle? So I want to start there and I want to give you five ways uh, where thought leadership is essential in a certain kind of business and how to know that that's the, actually the business that you're in. So the first sign that leadership, thought leadership is essential in your business is when your business sells something intangible. So I'll run and read something from a book called McKinsey's Marvin Bauer. So if you know anything about McKinsey, it was named after uh, its original kind of namesake founder, but really the, the real founder that built McKinsey into the powerhouse it is, his name was Marvin Bauer, and he just retained the name McKinsey so that the firm wasn't all about his name, which is a smart decision. So uh, here's, here's a little quote from the book that stuck out to me about selling professional services. He said, Marvin's early uh, experience at McKinsey taught him that the great consultants were not necessarily 
great salespeople and that selling a service was difficult even for the best salespeople. There was a training course that Marvin Bauer did in 51 where he said, if we are asked to help, the client feels some responsibility to aid us in our work and act on our recommendations. There is a psychological but very real difference in attitude between the client who has asked for our help and the one who has been sold and thus has a show, it, show me attitude. So if you're in the business of selling professional services, you're selling something intangible, that's a space where you probably need a thought leadership strategy because of what Marvin Bauer said 50 years ago or 70 years ago now, I guess, which is if someone comes to you for help, they're actually an active participant in the change they want. If you go out there and you track them down and you convince them to buy and you sell them on it, they're going to show up with a completely different attitude. So there has to be an element of thought leadership to your strategy not even just to sell, but to get the client's results and have them walk away and refer you other businesses. So it really all starts with a thought leadership strategy. Uh, number two is that you have to have a message. In other words, you have something to say and not just something to sell. You have to be mission driven. You have a unique perspective on the world that you are driven to share. You know, one of the reasons that Michael Michalowicz's book Profit First took off like it did is because he was on a mission. Uh, it was a, a really interesting and what I would call a clear and compelling idea to the point where even though it was just mentioned initially in one of his other books, it kind of caught on and people started to, uh, to implement it. And then he realized, wow, I've got something on my hands. But then it transformed him into someone who became on a mission to end entrepreneurial poverty. So what started out as just a kernel of an idea has now turned into a mission that he's on. And everything in the business that he does is really based around that mission. So where thought leadership is essential is if you're in a business like that, where you have a message and you want to get that message to the world because it can make a big change, well, then you need some sort of a thought leadership strategy. Number three is that you want to create a following, a, a tribe, a community around that message. You know, if you, uh, as one of my clients says, if you can't help but get ranty and rant and rave when you talk about your industry and where people are being neglected and led astray, uh, that's a sign that you're a thought leader. Right. Uh, and the, the client that told me that, Dana Mallstaff of Boss Mom, is a perfect example of this. She's on a mission to redefine and change the way that, that boss moms, right, mom entrepreneurs run their business because almost all the advice they're given are coming from people who either don't have kids or have a paid nanny for their kids, which most of her, her audience that they cannot afford. Right. They're coming from a completely different lifestyle place. And so the advice that they give to them on doing all these live launches and, and other things and, and that might work, but they don't work well for mom entrepreneurs. She's on a mission to change that and get mom entrepreneurs to build their business in a certain way that actually works for their life. And uh, it, without that mission, she's just selling a product or selling a service. It, but if you're selling something intangible, you have a mission and you want to create a tribe around that mission then you're going to need a thought leadership strategy. You are a thought leader. Let's move on to number four, which is that in order to sell, you need to change hearts and minds. And that's a big one. That's where you really know, I think, in my opinion, that thought leadership is not just that it works or that it's essential, but you literally cannot live without it. If, if the only way that you can get people to buy from you is they have to have a change of heart and mind, you need converts to your belief system in order to grow your business, then you've got to have a thought leadership strategy. Uh, I want to read a, a quick example here from one of my favorite books. This is Play Bigger by Chris Lockhead. Uh, in my opinion, this is probably the best marketing book, uh, at least in the tech space, since Crossing the Chasm. Definitely one of my favorite marketing books of all time and right up there with anything that uh, the Seth Godin has written, which says a lot. 
So um, he talks about Mark Benioff of Salesforce and how Salesforce really was on a mission to end, you know, to end the era of software. It was the, like the introduction of Salesforce.com, according to Mark Benioff, is the end of software. Why would you have all of your data stored in the software when you, can, when you can have it in the cloud? Well, at that time, the cloud was not well-known, super reliable. It wasn't something that was just kind of viewed as automatic. The idea that most companies had was, why in the world would we store our data anywhere else but in our own secure server in the basement of our building where it is you know, guarded by a people that, you know, that are on our payroll? So in order for Mark Benioff to sell Salesforce.com, this software as a service that was this new thing, people had to have a change of heart and mind. He had to literally change people's perspective on the world in order to get them to even be open to buying. Well, that's one of the, the signs that you need a thought leadership strategy because without it, people just flat out aren't going to buy. That's number four. Now, number five is that you need people to agree with you and take your advice in order to get them results. And this applies to my favorite world, which is the world of business coaching and consulting. And I want to read a little bit from the book Simplify by Richard Koch. You might know the name Richard Koch because he is the 80-20 guy. What you may not know about Richard Koch is that he came out of the management consulting world of Boston Consulting and Bain and Company, and he says something really good about uh, the way that Bain and Company operated, which is different from any others. So that Bain assumed all responsibility for explaining their strategy down the line. Before any new strategy and recommendations reached the CEO and the board, Bain and their consultants outlined everything to everyone from the lowest to the highest managers and corrected mistakes and got consensus along the way. This process of securing consensus for its recommendations flushed out any disagreement from uh, people within the management structure like division heads or things like that. Since the rules of Bain, the Bain process dictated that data and analysis were paramount, it was hard for anyone to disagree, even though their personal interests might dictate otherwise. The, the path envisioned was a ever closer symbiosis between Bain and the client and more consulting revenues. Participating in this virtuous cycle and perhaps even getting very rich by doing so was the goal. So one of the reasons that Bain and company grew in those early days was they were so good at getting consensus from the lower ranks before they would go present their conclusion and recommendations to the CEO and the board. So unlike when Boston Consulting would come in and they'd deliver this amazing presentation and then they'd fly away and a lot of the times that recommendation then sat on the shelf, Bain and company said, we're, we're not going to do that. We're going to embed Bain consultants and junior staff and they're literally going to sit next to people at their desk, gather data, make sure that that person agrees that the data they've collected is correct and then literally sit next to them. Uh, and, and ask questions and learn the business and get consensus on the things that they were recommending before they would go present them. Why is that? Well, because you need people to agree with you and take your advice in order to get them results. And if you're in the coaching or consulting space, you know exactly what I mean. If you have somebody that comes in and maybe they liked some of your content, but they didn't consume enough of your content or they didn't learn enough about you in advance, they just think you're a generic run-of-the-mill business coach or a consultant, you can feel the difference right away. You can feel, oh man, this client engagement is going to be a little tough because there's a lot of beliefs, there's a lot of uh, misconceptions, there's a lot of myths that they've got going on. I'm going to have to break a lot of this stuff. I'm going to have to contradict a lot of this stuff in order to get them to do what I'm telling them to do. Like you just know it's not going to be the most fun engagement. So that's when you know, it's one of the, that's the fifth sign to me where thought leadership is absolutely essential, where you need people to agree with you and take your advice to get them results. So Let's get into podcasting specifically. How do you use your podcast to change hearts and minds? 
Well, here's the number one thing. So build trust through consistency. You know, Marvin Bauer said that selling something intangible like services takes, uh, it's very, it's one of the very most difficult things to do. So he was obsessed with building trust. Now in his day, they were meeting with people in person. So one funny story from just the, the history of, of uh, McKinsey is that Marvin Bauer basically told people, hey, you're like, you are not allowed to wear Argyle socks. Like you do not walk into a client meeting cross your leg and have Argyle socks on. You have, you know, like dark blue socks. It goes with your suit. It, it does not distract. He wanted absolutely nothing that took away from the message, might distract the client and might hurt the trust they were trying to build because he understood that what they were selling was something intangible. So in today's world where you might not be walking in and you might not be able to get that same sense or, or deliver a, a first impression in person, well, one of the ways that you can deliver a first impression online is by publishing content that's relevant to your audience and doing it consistently over a long period of time. You know, Seth Godin has been publishing on his, I think it's Seth.blog for what, since the mid 90s, something like that, around the time when Permission Marketing came out, he started that blog. Uh, and he's been publishing faithfully on that blog for what, 25 years? Uh, Peter Drucker, the same thing, consistently, relentlessly putting out new books all around management. Like you don't get that kind of real enduring influence without consistency. You can't be seen um, as the one who's constantly pivoting and shifting and changing your offer and changing your target market and build real enduring influence. That comes from consistency. So build trust through consistency. That's the number one way to use your podcast to change hearts and minds. Now let's move on to number two. Sharpen the language of your message. And uh, the book Play Bigger is really good on that. So you can dive into that book for a little bit more on the messaging, but I'll keep it brief here. So look at the language that you're using and then test that language against conversations with your ideal clients as well as research. Uh, one example just from me recently here is I was looking at what do people look for on YouTube specifically when they're looking at and, and curious about launching a podcast? Well, I use the term launch. I've used the term launch since I started the business. That's what I assumed everyone uses. What's interesting is when I dug into the YouTube search results, what people are actually using, the language they're using is the word create and not launch. So I have to start to kind of force myself and break that habit in myself. Uh, and it comes very naturally. I was talking about launch, launch, launch a podcast. What, what people are actually using out there, the language they use is create. So I've had to change that in my own vocabulary. So just as a, I mean, a quick example, and I've had a lot of conversations with my ideal people. So it's a, it's a combination of real conversations with real people and listening very closely to what they're saying, but also you know, using some of the technological tools we have available to us to see what are they thinking and what, what is the actual language when they put it into words, what do they actually say? What, do they, what words do they actually use? And start to you know, adjust the language of your message to match what your audience actually uses, what they say, the words they actually use, so that the things that you say resonate and hit home at a deeper and deeper level. That's number two. Now, the third thing is a simple thing, but it is a little bit more tough, I think, for introverts than extroverts, which is to reward your tribe with time and attention. Now, I, as you know, from if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know, I don't agree with a lot of Gary Vee's approach, uh, specifically when it comes to introverts. But when people do choose to reach out to us, I think we should make every effort to respond and build that connection. So Gary Vee would say like, hey, you know, if you're brand new, sit on Instagram, take a thousand selfies a day, you know, spend six, eight, 10 hours a day on Instagram, responding, commenting, responding to every message. Well, there's a kernel of truth to that when he says respond to every message, like that does work. Now, 
you know, like when, when you reach like Tim Ferriss levels and stuff like that, it just becomes impossible. You can't respond to every message. And of course you have to triage a little bit. And there's some good auto responders and stuff that, that Tim Ferriss talks about that are good for that. But to the best of your ability, especially when someone does take the time to reach out personally, if you're in the early days and you're building that tribe from scratch, you do want to respond to every comment. You do want to respond to every email. Uh, but I think as an introvert, you do want to structure it in a way that you're mostly in one place and you just have that one place to check and respond and do it once or twice a day at the most and then get back out and get to focusing on other things. So that's my perspective on responding and kind of building that tribe, building that sense of community by giving people your time and attention. No matter how introverted you are, people will still want your time and attention to feel like they're in the tribe that you're building. That will never change. So let's talk about number four, which is getting clear about the change that you want to make. So we really have to step away from kind of the ego-driven goals of our business and the growth that we want and change the focus to the people that we want to serve. And I'm not saying this is easy. It's, it's hard for me to we all have those business goals. I, I'm literally looking at them on uh, black post-it notes across the, the room from me over there, like the, the vision that I have for the agency, the revenue, the number of clients we're serving. It's all laid out. It's in my head. And that's awesome. But that comes from me and my goals. My audience doesn't care about how big the agency gets or how many other podcasts we launch, right? Uh, so I, I really have to think deeply about the change that I want to make it. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Because I have to, like in, in the creation of my content, it's not about me. It's about the audience and what they need to hear. So you really want to get down to the root of why you want to make those changes. Because the more clarity you have, the more it comes across in the content you create, and the more powerful and impact that content becomes. All right. And finally, number five, in terms of using your podcast to change hearts and minds, is to use your content to create agreement and destroy objections in advance. So I've done a lot of work like in the, in the real estate and sales space and talked to a lot of people. And uh, most, most coaches, when they are confronted with a objection in the sales process, they naturally rely and fall back on objection handlers, right? Scripts, turns of phrases, uh, mental approaches, frameworks, and things like that to handle the objection in the moment. And that's great. And there's a place for that. But I love the second option, which is destroy the objections before they come up. And I love to use content to destroy objections before they come up. Now, in podcasting, there's a really great example just from a client of ours. They had a workshop that at the time when I first came in uh, and started doing, doing some work with them, they were charging a couple of grand. You know, there was a lot of back and forth communication, phone calls, Facebook messages, questions, 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 all this stuff uh, to get you know, a handful of people to come once every few months to this $2,000 workshop. Fast forward a year, year and a half later, we've been running the podcast and they built that level of influence. We were getting them you know, featured on other shows. We were bringing influential people onto their show, et cetera, et cetera. Just basically working what is now known as the microfamous system. And they built such a level of influence that they raised the workshop price to three grand. And so 33% more. And they had people skipping. They didn't need to talk to anybody. They would go to the website, plunk down their credit card, book their flight, get on the plane, show up in Omaha at the workshop, and nobody knew who they were. They walked in the door and met for the first time. That's the power of using content to create agreement and destroy objections in advance. They didn't need more and better objection handling scripts. They didn't need things to be saved. They didn't need to train their salesperson to handle the objections better. The building of real influence in the space swept away a lot of those objections before they came up. So to me, that's the best way to, to work you know, and to, to handle objections 
is to use the content that you publish to destroy the objections before they even come up and to build such a level of real and enduring influence that it destroys a lot of the trust-based objections that come up. Like, hey, well, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, I really need to see if you can do this for someone that's exactly like me. Do you have someone that's exactly like me that you have a case study on? You know, like those types of questions, they come from a lack of real enduring influence in your space. So the more that you build that level of influence, the less you'll have those types of objections come up. And then you can use other forms of content to deal with more specific ones and get that content into the hands of the right people in advance so that they have that in mind. It's to where six months, a year later, when they're, they're ready, the timing is right, and they're ready to pull the trigger with you, that objection never even comes up because you dealt with it in a podcast episode they listened to six months ago. Like that's, to me, that's the ideal for a business coach or consultant. Create agreement, destroy objections in advance. So if you want to use your podcast to create like that, that kind of change, to change hearts and minds, to build real enduring influence with the right people, a podcast not only is ideal, but the podcast does have to be used in a certain way. Because at the end of the day, the, the influence you have, if it's real, enduring influence, that's the actual foundation of your power. That's the base of your security and your longevity in your space. That's the launch pad for bigger moves down the road. And here's the kicker. When the goal of your podcast is to teach, train, and lead people, your podcast actually does a much better job of attracting audience. That's the, that's the funny thing I've noticed. Uh, an audience who wants to be led to new beliefs, new actions, and new results, they're going to be out looking for content like yours. They're looking for a leader. They're, they feel leaderless. They feel neglected. They feel overlooked. They feel uh, taken advantage of. They feel misled, like all those things. When your goal of the podcast is to teach, train, and lead those people, they're going to find you. It actually makes it easier to attract an audience because you're filling a gap. You're not just coming along saying, I have something to sell. You're coming along saying, I have something to say that you've already been looking for. I'm here to lead you to new beliefs, new actions, new results. So if you're the kind of person who is driven to teach, train, and lead, then you're the kind of person who should have a podcast if you don't already. Because a podcast in the right hands is the most powerful tool I know of in the marketing toolbox to change hearts and minds while creating ideal clients along the way. So that's what I've got for you today. If you're looking to launch a podcast, obviously get in touch with us. Just go to our website. You can grab a brainstorm call there. If you're interested in any of the books that I shared, uh, they are amazing. Uh, Simplify by Richard Koch. Uh, McKinsey's Marvin Bauer by Elizabeth Haas Edersheim. And then, of course, Play Bigger by Christopher Lockhead, among others. And uh, so those are the things that I wanted to share with you today. Hopefully that was helpful. If you're, uh, if you're in the podcasting world, be sure to share this with uh, another uh, coach, consultant, or someone that already has a podcast. If you think it'd be helpful, make sure to leave a review. Uh, I, I always you know, read every single one of them, respond to them if I can, if I know the person personally. So it's really helpful to leave ratings and reviews for the show. That way it tells the algorithm that it's a show that people do enjoy and uh, just helps the, the growth and success of the show and, and reach more people. So thanks as always for listening, for paying attention. I honor your time and attention. I really appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next one.